You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. This is the sermon recording from this week's service, but first, here are the readings. Our first reading is taken from the first book of Kings, chapter 19. The Lord said to Elijah, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. The Gospel reading is from Luke chapter 9. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and the disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, First let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. And now, for this week's sermon. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found pleasing in your sight, O God. 
Amen. The Consequences of Discipleship. In 1984, I had a profound experience of the presence of God. I didn't believe it, and so God, who rarely takes no, shan't, or who, me, for an answer, gave me the same experience a couple of nights later, and it changed my life. It's ended thus far with me standing here in front of you talking about the consequences of my own discipleship. So there I was, two years later, still full of my new enthusiasm, my revitalized Christian commitment, busy studying theology at Bristol University when we needed some plastering work done in the basement. They were nice guys who did the work, and one of them, looking around and seeing a crucifix on the wall and a couple of religious icons, said, Oh, so you're a Jesus freak, are you? I think it was meant to be a light touch. You know, that bit of humour in the casual, throwaway style, which often marks an underlying prejudice. Much as the casual insults against people of colour, or gay people, or trans people, or feminists like me can be passed off as, it's only a joke, where's your sense of humour? Does these days. I was taken aback. Perhaps I was a bit of a freak. But I took him seriously and I replied, yes, I do believe in the love of God, but I'm not a freak. He didn't mention religion again so I'd silenced him. But on reflection, that was a pity. Because if I'd been more experienced, like now, maybe we could have had a discussion about what being a Christian truly means. And that is exactly what Jesus commanded that we should be doing. Talking, listening, absorbing, tolerating and understanding where people are coming from. There can be costs to being a follower of Jesus. Some people hide their beliefs at home or at work because they risk criticism or discrimination. But that is why Jesus specifically asked us not to hide our lights under a bushel. And it's about our discipleship is about commitment and trust in him. In our first reading, we hear of um, Elisha uh, literally being given the mantle of Elijah in, in the manner of ceremonial clothing in every age. His mantle would have been a, a camel hair or goat hair. Can you imagine how that smelt? As this was the official dress of somebody who was recognized as a prophet in those days. Handing it on to someone was a form of initiation, much like um, it's being chosen for a role, much like the, the queen being invested in ceremonial clothes and a crown for her coronation, but things were less formal in those days. Elisha was clearly quite well healed because we're told about the considerable number of oxen 
that the family owned. But he doesn't hesitate. He runs after Elijah, but he asks him only for time to bid his parents goodbye. Now, considering what a shock this must have been for Elisha, Elijah's response sounds brusque and unfeeling in his reply. Go back again. What have I done to you? But commentators now believe that Elijah was simply trying to say, it's okay, go back, I'm not stopping you. But Elisha had got the message. And to prove his utter compliance and his wholehearted commitment, he made a sacrifice of the oxen on a fire made from the wood of his plough. From the wood of his plough, there was no going back turning away from his former life and accepting his new vocation wholeheartedly. And Elisha is our example here of courage and commitment and risk-taking for the sake of God. In our Gospel reading, we have Jesus laying down what appears to be clear rules and consequences of discipleship. This section of Luke's gospel is about traveling and particularly the journey which would end up in Jerusalem and in the greatest event in our history, the death and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. But first they needed accommodation in a Samaritan village on the way. Now this was hardly going to be an easy ask as the Samaritans and the Jews were enemies At least they were theological enemies because the Samaritans believed that Mount Gerizim was the holiest place in their world, while the Jews believed that it was in Jerusalem uh, that would bring forth the the Messiah and it should be the place where everyone worshipped. Now, James and John were incensed by the Samaritans' refusal to put up Jesus and his friends. And these sons of thunder as they were known, wanted to have punishments rained down upon the village. Just as Elijah had done to two captains and a hundred men sent by King Akaziah in the second book of the Kings. But Jesus' mission was very different from Elijah's. Jesus preached mercy and forgiveness. So he rebuked his followers whose responses were more in keeping with the past than the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of God for the future. The generation into which Jesus was born in first century Palestine still carried the attitudes and actions of previous centuries, which Jesus was up against throughout his ministry. Violence and revenge had no place in his philosophy or in his actions, and he expected none from his disciples. Just as an aside, if for a moment we consider how many manipulating warmongers across the world consider themselves to be Christians, we can see how far the world has departed from Jesus' teaching. Now, it's important to understand the manner in which Jesus spoke. In this gospel, it sounds really harsh. And like the rest of us, When Jesus wanted to make a point, he often spoke in exaggerated language. 
he meant what he said, but he sometimes expressed it in such a way as to make sometimes an over-firm point, in my view, or to enlarge upon its meaning so that no one could misunderstand and no one would take lightly the importance of, the me of his meaning. I have lived and worked amongst Jewish people, and so it seems to be a natural and cultural verbal expressiveness. Now, there are three people who are mentioned in this part, in this chapter of the, of the gospel, and they're all would-be disciples, all of whom misunderstands what being a disciple really means. The first tells Jesus that he will follow him wherever Jesus goes. Jesus' reply is tough and straightforward. The foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That is, we need a willing preparedness to have no place, no home, and no security something which some of the members of this congregation know well. Following Jesus was not just a matter of tagging along wherever he went. It meant, and it means, being in a close, almost symbiotic relationship with the Lord, which could include all the rigours of Jesus's life, including the pain and the suffering. The second would-be disciple, when asked by Jesus to follow me, like Elisha, wants to first let me go and bury my father. In the culture of the time, sons had to bury their parents when the time came. Now, the father in this story is not dead, but the man's sense of filial piety made him request what everybody else took for granted. Jesus is not denying the man's responsibility, but he's asking him to question his priorities. Being a disciple may mean reconsidering commonly held priorities. And so it is for us too. If the man's parents were not dead, then Jesus and the kingdom would have to wait until the man was free of responsibilities. So Jesus asking him at that point in his life was inconvenient. Have we faced this dilemma? Put off good works or prayer or church or community needs or not turning up to church because something better's cropped up? Because it's inconvenient? Jesus's message is clear he brings life, and he brings it now, not somewhere in the future. The third man says he will willingly follow Jesus, but he needs to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus, ever the country boy, relates his request to farming. Anyone who looks back, turns his head away from ploughing, ends up by making crooked furrows. The high claim of discipleship calls for courage, resoluteness and determination and eyes pointing straight ahead towards the future.
Now, you will have noticed that none of these people, three people, are named. We are the recipients of the same good news. So this could be because they are symbolic of all of us. We are all on the journey with Jesus. We are companions on the road with him and happily with each other. However, we should not worry if we can't always live up to our high ideals. Having the ideals is the start. And God knows us so well that every weakness and fragility is known before we even speak it, before we even admit it to ourselves. And nothing that we can do or not do is going to change God's love for us. He just has high hopes for us. Sometimes just wanting to be a true disciple is enough. Prayer for the strength to carry through our desire and our intention can give us the courage to pursue that desire. I've never forgotten the plasterer in Bristol all those years ago because he was the first person to bring me up short and make me realise that I might have to face negative responses to my beliefs, as indeed I have through my life. I have a lot to thank him for. Even prejudice can sometimes teach us something we might not otherwise learn. When I read the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel sometime later, I took new heart. And I hope will give you new heart. The last one reads, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So take heart, my friends. We are all on this road together. And we are blessed in being given each other for support. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. To find out more about what we do, head across to our website, www.northernlightsmcc.org.uk.